Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. And thank you for returning to yet another episode of Monsters Among Us. I have quite a show lined up for you guys. Now before we get started, I want to touch on some of the strange activity that's been taking place here at the old homestead. As you may remember, I mentioned a lot of what was going on on last week's episode. Well, a lot of you have written in suggesting saging and sigils and other kinds of things like that, and I'm systematically trying little things here and there, trying to see if anything actually puts a dent in what's going on. And surprisingly, uh, the sage seems to have worked. I did a thorough saging on Saturday, and since then, I can't recall anything breaking. We were still hearing some strange noises up until maybe 10 minutes ago, but at least some of it has seemed to have subsided. So as time progresses, I'm going to continue using some of you guys' suggestions, and I'll be talking to you each individually as that process continues. So thank you for the advice. And one more piece of uh, business here before we start on the show. I realize we have a lot of new listeners. Some of you may have found me from various TV shows, through Cryptocrate, or word of mouth, or other organic sources. I wanted to let you guys know what Monsters Among Us is about. Essentially, Monsters Among Us is a call-in show about monsters, but more specifically about the people that actually encounter them. And when I say monsters, of course, I mean anything from ghosts, UFOs, to uh, Bigfoot, uh, missing time, anything strange, anything that's out of the ordinary. So every call that we receive, to the best of my knowledge, is genuine and true. And I do my best to weed out anything that seems to be fabricated or some sort of elaborate prank, which I'm happy to report happens very seldomly. So essentially, this show is only possible thanks to you, the listener. So if you have a story you would like to share, submitting is super easy. Simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click the Report Your Sightings tab. There you will find several other options to submit your information. Now as far as the calls are concerned, each call is limited to 5 minutes, but that doesn't mean your story has to stop there. Simply call back and pick up where you left off. I will do the rest. So a huge thank you to all those that have submitted stories, and I can't wait to hear those that have yet to be submitted. As I said in the opener, I have a great show lined up for you guys this evening. The finale story is something special, let me tell you. It's creepy. But before we get there, I have plenty of other scary calls to play. So let's kick it off tonight from the state of North Carolina. The following call 
is Carla's. Hello, Derek. My name is Carla, and I'm from North Carolina in the Triad area. Um, I grew up, my mother and I both grew up fascinated with um, the paranormal, with cryptids. So it's always been something that I've been fascinated in. I've never particularly experienced anything personally, but people around me have. And um, I laid the basis um, for this because when I met my husband and married my husband, he was totally not interested in any of that. He doesn't want to believe in it. He doesn't want to experience it. He doesn't want to hear about it. So needless to say, whenever I watch paranormal programming on TV or listen to podcasts, he just goes in another room. I don't know whether it scares him or what, but he's just not interested. Well, fast forward. Some years ago, my husband got into the fascination of camping. I don't camp because I'm terrified of critters. So he and a couple of his guy friends that he worked with started doing regular camping trips. You know, just to have a guy time on the weekend, hang out, um, which I didn't have a problem with. But if you know anything about relationships and marriages, when your husband is gone a lot every weekend, it starts to become a little bit of a problem. And we started having conflicts about him going camping all the time. But that's what he enjoyed, and so that's what he did. Well, one particular weekend, he went camping with one of his friends, and they went up in the mountains near here. Uh, there's an area called um, Pilot Mountain, which is is um, the same place that was characterized as Mount Pilot on the Andy Griffin Show um, here in Mount Airy, North Carolina. Well, they went camping there one particular weekend, and he left out on a Friday, and he was not due back till Sunday. He left out on Friday and called me and let me know he got there safely and everything, and we were good. He was back home Saturday morning. And when he came back in, I asked him, I said, why are you back so soon? You know, what's going on? Oh, nothing. I just wanted to come back. And I could tell there was something really wrong, but he wouldn't elaborate on it. He just said he was not enjoying himself and he wanted to come back home. So I didn't think much of it, and I just impressed him about it, and I let it go. Uh, he let a couple of days pass, and then he finally got me to myself, and he went on to explain why he came back so suddenly. Well, he said he called me this Friday night and um, let me know that they had gotten there safely and everything, and he went on to enjoy it. So um, the camping area is um, set up where... You go so, uh, I guess, so many miles, so many feet, there's different campsites, different camp setups. And, but the entire area has a communal shower and communal bathroom, and it's a long path down the hill to where you have to go to this area. And he said that um, he and his friends would sit around, you know, shooting the breeze, drinking beers on the campfire, whatever, and he decided that he'll go down to the communal bathroom. So he said he went down the path. He said it was a winding path down to the bottom of the hill. Well, he got down there, did what he had to do, and he said it was about sunset. It hadn't quite gotten dark yet, and it was sunset. And he said, now, mind you, there are people wandering back and forth um, up and down the path, all through 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 the forest, going through different camp areas. He said it was pretty busy that weekend. So he said he was making his way back up the hill to his campsite, 
and he saw a couple coming um, down the hill towards him. He really wasn't paying much attention to him. He said, but what, what first caught his attention was the way they were dressed. And he said they were dressed like they were from the 1960s. The guy had on a leather jacket, like a Fonzie jacket. And he said the girl had on and like a, a pencil skirt and she had on bobby socks and, and tissue. And her hair was in a ponytail. He said it was odd, but he figured well, maybe there's a festival around. People are dressed up that way or, you know, just an odd couple that likes to dress up, you know, retro. So anyway, he said as they were walking past, you know how you, you capture somebody's attention and, you you know, you catch their eye and you just nod and speak. And you don't verbally say hello, but you just kind of nod, hello, good evening. And they nodded back to him and he walked past him. And he said he turned around to look back, and they disappeared. He said there was nobody there. He said there's nowhere there they could have gone. There was only one path to the bathroom up to the campsite, and all along the path were nothing but trees and forests. And he said that they couldn't have gone into the woods that quickly. He would have heard them go through the woods, and it freaked him the heck out. He said, but as he got at the campground and got his composure back together, he got to thinking about it. And he remembers when he was walking down the path and saw the couple walking, they were talking to each other. He said, but he didn't remember hearing them saying anything. He just saw their mouths moving, and they were talking to each other, but he never heard the conversation, and they were walking past them. He said they were walking close enough that he had to step over um, off the path a little bit so that they could get by him. And they just nodded heads and kept on walking. And when he looked back, they were gone. Now, that night, he was so freaked out, he tried to get himself together because he was with his friends, and you know how you men are, they don't want to show their fear, so he tried to stick around and hang around with his friends that night, but he was so freaked out. By that morning, he was packing his stuff up, and he was coming home. So when he told me the story, I know that he was telling the truth, and I know that he was totally freaked out, because this happened about five years ago. He has not been back camping since that night as much as he loved camping i mean he used to go camping every weekend for like you know as months on end as long as the weather would permit and he stopped cold turkey he was not going back he hasn't suggested it he hasn't talked about it he's giving away his camping things he is done and my husband does not like that experience that he's had i try to get him to call and give his own uh, testament but he just refuses to do it so I'm calling to tell his story for him. Um, so that's his story, and um, I hope to call back again sometime and tell you because I have a lot of family members who's had experiences too. Um, if anybody else has had that experience in Mount Erie or any other campgrounds, please um, maybe maybe you can let me know. Maybe I can let him know that he was the only one that experienced that. I enjoy your show. I I listen to it every day, and I look forward to the next episode. Take care. You all be blessed. Thank you, Carla. Now, at first glance, this seems to be a cut-and-dry ghost experience. But the more I'm listening, I can't shake the thought that this might be more akin to a time slip. Then that got me thinking. I remember reading about a particular place in Vermont 
the Bennington Triangle, where over a number of years in the 40s and 50s, several people disappeared in a region under mysterious circumstances. Between 1945 and 1950, activities peaked with no less than five people disappearing within the Bennington area in mystifying circumstances. November 12, 1945. 74-year-old Mitty Rivers vanished while hunting. Guiding a group of four hunters up the mountains, Rivers got slightly ahead of the group and was never seen again. Encombing searches were conducted, yet the only thing discovered was a single rifle cartridge in a stream. Rivers was an experienced hunter and fisherman extremely familiar with the local terrain. Paula Weldon, 18, would vanish on December 1, 1946. An 18-year-old sophomore, she had set out for a hike along the Long Trail. She was being followed along the trail by a couple who were about 100 yards behind her. According to them, she turned a corner ahead and vanished forever. An extensive search was conducted by the FBI including a $5,000 reward for any information. However, no trace of her has ever been found. December 1, 1949. Exactly three years later, James Tedford, a war veteran, got on the bus. Somewhere between the last stop and Bennington, Tedford somehow vanished from the moving bus. His belongings were still in the luggage rack, and an open bus timetable was on his vacant seat. Paul Jeffson, vanished within the Bennington Triangle on October 12, 1950. Although he was wearing a large, bright red coat, he was never seen again. Apparently, bloodhounds tracked him to the same stretch of road where Paula Weldon had vanished some four years prior. These are just a small number of the unexplained disappearances that have occurred within the Bennington Triangle. That clip comes to us from Mystery History on YouTube. Now, I bet you're wondering where the connection comes in, aren't you? Well, I'll be the first to admit that there is no literal connection. But if you allow your imagination to work its magic, it's not that difficult to imagine that perhaps there was some sort of time slip that these missing people mistakenly entered. And perhaps it's this same time slip, or maybe something similar to it, that Carla's husband claimed to have seen that day in North Carolina. So instead of ghosts, perhaps he simply caught a glimpse of the other side of the mysterious rift. Of course, this is merely conjuncture, but fun conjuncture nonetheless. Regardless of what was seen, I'm sure the experience was downright bone-chilling. So thank you, Carla, for sharing his story for us this evening. Our next call of the evening comes to us from the state of Texas. The following is Mario's submission. Hey, uh, this is Mario from San Antonio, Texas. And I have kind of an odd story. Around 2009, maybe 2010, I used to travel from Laredo, Texas to where I was currently residing, which was Waxahachie, Texas. Uh, that's near Dallas. We would have to leave around maybe 8 o'clock in the morning to get to Dallas around 5, 6. It was a long ride. Uh, but the reason I'm calling today is one of those days I would usually travel with myself, my brother, and my mother in the car. 
And one of those times we were driving, we were getting near to Dallas. It was about about a hundred miles away from our destination, and it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. There was a bright sun out, and this might not sound very weird, but we saw a hovering airplane. Now, this I just learned recently that airplanes don't actually hover. Uh, but back in the day, both me, my brother, my mother, we're not very bright, I guess. And we didn't know that that airplanes don't actually hover. And this is not a tiny airplane. I mean, one of those international huge airplanes. Uh, we just see it hovering about about 100 feet, maybe the size of three-story building, just above the ground in a field. And it's just plain daylight. Anyone driving by the highway could see this airplane. It wasn't a blimp. It was definitely made of metal. And it was right near the highway. Uh, couldn't tell you why it wasn't making any noise. Uh, no buzzing, no nothing that would indicate that it was hovering or anything. It was just stuck in the air. And we kind of just mentioned it between all three of us, like, oh, look. I wonder why this airplane is just so low to the ground. Uh, not really taking into consideration that an airplane that big would not just be hovering. But yeah, now that I've grown up, that back in the day I was about 19. Uh, now I'm 31, so I'm kind of kind of learning about airplanes. I've traveled a lot, and I know that that airplane that we saw that day was about an international sized airplane and i know that they don't hover uh did we see a ufo uh i don't think so because like i said it looked just like a normal everyday airplane but it was just stuck in the air um and that's about it it's not very strange but i was wondering if you had any opinions on this uh love the show Thanks. Uh, I'm catching up on all the episodes. I just started, but hopefully you guys will keep up going forever. Bye. Thank you, Mario. I gotta be honest, this as well sounds like some sort of time slip. I'm not a aeronautical engineer, and far from it, but I don't believe that especially passenger planes can do any sort of hovering, especially uh, some 100 feet off the ground. Now, there are particular uh, aircraft that can hover. Of course, you have craft like helicopters that can hover for long periods of time. In addition, there are jets like the Harrier jet that is able to land vertically. But none of these seem to fit the description that Mario was giving. And, of course, if there was a Harrier jet hovering 100 feet away, you certainly would be able to hear it. So I did as I do, and I performed a bit of research to see if I could find any other stories that seemed to coincide with what was going on with this one. And while I didn't land exactly on the perfect example, I did find something rather interesting that I do remember hearing about some years ago. And of course I'm talking about Sir Victor Goodart of the Royal Air Force. Now I thought, you know, I could easily find a clip explaining what happened to good old Victor, but I have this pile of books next to me. And then I thought, why don't I crack into a couple of those? So the following excerpt comes from a Reader's Digest book called 
Exploring the Unknown from 1995. And the section is titled, A Glimpse of the Future. In 1935, Sir Victor Goodhart of the Royal Air Force was flying low in pouring rain over a disused First World War airfield in Scotland near Edinburgh. Suddenly, the scene was brilliantly lit. He thought that bright sunshine had pierced the heavy cloud. Below were open hangar doors and four bright yellow aircraft, three biplanes of a model he recognized, and a monoplane unfamiliar to him. The blue overalled mechanics ignored his plane, and seconds later he plunged into the black cloud again. Only the day before, Goodard had seen Drem Airfield abandoned, yet now it seemed fully operational. But RAF aircraft were not painted yellow, and RAF mechanics wore brown overalls. And the RAF had no monoplanes in those pre-Spitfire days. In 1935, with the Second World War imminent, Drem Airfield reopened as a training school using yellow-painted aircraft, the Avro biplanes that Goodhart had seen, and a Magister monoplane that had not yet existed in 1935. Ground personnel also wore blue overalls. So in short, everything matched Goodhart's vision, had he somehow traveled in time. If you happen to own that book, you can find that section on page 379. So I'm not real sure if Mario experienced some sort of uh, time slip or if he was simply mistaken on what he saw, but the activity that he described certainly does not fit with what's known to be possible in the natural world. So thank you again, Mario, for taking the time to share your story. Now, for those of you that have already mastered time travel, you can catch me on the Travel Channel last night at 9 p.m. with In Search of Monsters, where I help discuss the possibility of the Loch Ness Monster somehow lurking around in the depths of the loch. And at 10 o'clock, you saw me on Paranormal Caught on Camera, also on the Travel Channel. Now, for those of you that have not yet mastered time travel, you can catch me next Wednesday, same time, same channel. Not only are these shows a lot of fun to be part of, but they also go a long way to bring in new listeners to the program, so please do your part and support them when you can. What do you guys say we shake things up a bit? It's been a long time since we've heard a call about a Ouija board. So let's kick it over to JT in the state of Colorado. This is his story. Hola, my name is JT. Um, I'm originally from Texas and I now live in Denver, Colorado. Um, this is a story that my mom told me. I actually just uh, asked her about it again since I've been listening to your podcast quite frequently. But um, this revolves in West Texas at a place called Girlstown. Um, my mom was about 16, 17 when this happened, but her and about seven other friends decided to pull out a Ouija board and uh, in the basement of their building. And they had a bunch of mirrors set up, a bunch of candles, and they decided to pull out a Ouija board. And they also decided to 
do the whole Bloody Mary thing, well, they chanted the Bloody Mary thing three times, and I don't know what all they did with the Ouija board, but after they did that, one of the girls got dragged up the stairs by her hair, and then one of the other girls started getting clawed at the throat by something they obviously couldn't see and you know I asked my mom about it again and she told me the same thing you know just exactly what I'm speaking of now and she was like yeah I'm never doing that again because I don't know that just sounds like a pretty crazy story I just I don't know and yeah I will never mess with the Ouija board or even like after my mom told me that I never messed with the whole Bloody Mary thing or even the Candyman thing. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, my little short story. And if you have any input on that, that would be pretty awesome. But uh, you have a great day, and thank you for listening to my uh, story. Look forward to hearing more of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you, JT. Now, there truly is something creepy about darkened mirrors let me tell you this I'm a grown man I look for scary things for a living but at 3 in the morning when I go to the bathroom and it's still dark I will not make eye contact with myself just something about it completely creeps me out I just don't know what it is and I have a funny feeling that I'm not alone and having this fear. But the reality is that there is something about that scenario that really puts us off. Bloody Mary, the Candyman, none of these things would exist without that ingrained fear. Thank you so much for taking the time to share the call. I think it's time we shake things up yet again. It's time for some sort of UFO call. The following is Megan's submission from the state of Virginia. Hello, my name's Megan. I live in um, Virginia. And today, my husband and I were driving to our daughter's school, which happens to be in the same residential neighborhood that we live in. It was a sunny day and somewhat cloudy. Actually, this happened today, um, about three hours ago. We were on the way to her school for a Thanksgiving lunch, and all of a sudden, we saw this shadow in the sky that was like the length of a school bus and it looked like it had wings um it happened so quick that i didn't get like a really really good look at it but that's what i can describe it as and we live near an airport so i'm very familiar with what planes look like this was not a plane no way there was no sound no noise nothing and it was so big and so low that there's just there's no way it was a plane I thought I I thought I was the only one that saw it and then all of a sudden my husband's like did you see that and we were both like what (laughs) so yeah I just wanted to call that in bye thank you Megan I can't recall ever hearing about the shadow of an unidentified flying object being the main part of the sighting. 
In fact, I can't recall the mention of a shadow in any UFO encounter. Of course, that's not to say that that doesn't happen, or hasn't happened. I simply can't recall it. My only logical thought here would be perhaps some sort of paraglider, or one of those glide planes. Now, the reason I'm thinking one of those two things may possibly be the culprit here is the fact that, to my knowledge, neither of those use uh, gas-powered engines. You know, they, they fly strictly on wind power, gliding power, and they, they need a high-altitude launch point or a tow plane to get them to altitude. So, perhaps, is it possible that a glide plane was landing at the local airport, and since it made no noise... It's a relatively small aircraft, maybe it wasn't seen at the time, but somehow its shadow was. Outside of that, I'm a bit stumped. So thank you, Megan, for taking the time to share that experience, especially sharing on the day that it actually happened. That certainly makes it more special. Thank you again. I have a couple calls left to share with you guys this evening, but before I do, I need to cover a few of these bullet points. And I'll try to make this as quick as possible. Be sure to follow the show on social media, if you're one of those people. We have a Facebook group and page, Twitter and Instagram, and we do our best to share all kinds of photos, videos, and information, not only about the show, but what's going on in the paranormal world. So be sure to search Monsters Among Us podcast on all three platforms, uh, join today. Don't forget that we have a Monsters Among Us shop. You can find it by visiting the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click the tab that says shop. We have two different designs of t-shirts. We have several designs for hats and we have some decals and magnets and a few other things. So if you're interested in picking up some sort of Monsters Among Us paraphernalia and supporting the show, this is a perfect way to do so. And speaking of supporting the show, this weekend I'm going to release the March Paranormal News segment for Patreon. So if you're a Patreon member, keep your eyes open for this special episode. And if you're not, simply go to patreon.com and search Monsters Among Us podcast, or follow the link in the show notes for tonight's episode and sign up today. A $4 a month pledge gets you two additional shows, including a deep dive episode on a past caller's experience. And a huge thank you to all those that have already opened their hearts and wallets and joined Patreon. Thank you. And lastly, speaking of thanking people, we have a few donations that have come in over the past couple weeks, and I certainly need to thank those that have done so. So a huge thank you to Edward S., Teresa Z., Cody D., Nicholas B., Sean L., and Timothy O., Without your support, this show would be struggling. So thank you so much for uh, your generosity and for taking the time to donate to this little podcast. And that leaves us with our last two calls of the evening. First up is a strange encounter that took place in the state of Alabama. The following is Andrew's call. Hi, my name's Andrew from Alabama. I guess we just call this story creepy. All right, on January 12th, my wife woke me up at 5 a.m. And she says, uh, she says, did you hear that? And I'm like, hear what? She says, listen. So then we hear mommy, and it sounds like a child's voice. 
we have a three and a four year old, so uh, it's not really that unusual. So we both hop out of bed, walk out down our hallway into the kitchen, and then my wife starts to go upstairs. She says, you know, they're calling me, I'll go. So she starts walking up the stairs, and then she stops about halfway up, and she says, that's not coming from upstairs. And I say, what? She says, it's not coming from upstairs. So I walk back into our bedroom, and I stop and I listen. I hear mommy again from outside our window, which opens up to the backyard. At this point, you know, I'm, I immediately think one of our kids got outside and can't get back in. So I'm like, oh my God. And I run to the back porch and I fling open the door, run outside. I'm like, hello. Hey. And then all I hear is I hear mommy again. Now, let, let me explain our backyard. Our backyard is like probably 30 feet by 100 or probably 150 feet rectangle of grass. And then beyond that, it's like a, the same thing, basically, but it's it's like just pine straw. It's just like a flower bed with inner spurt. It's like a sprinkling of trees through it. And you can see through it. There's no underbrush or anything. Like, you could run through it if you had to. Um, and then behind that, there's woods that drop down into a creek bed. And that's about 75 yards wide. And then it opens up to a golf course further back there. So the voice that we hear is it's back at on that tree line like right before where the the dense woods are and our porch lights can't reach back there we can't see back there um but we just hear the voice mommy again and i say it's okay come here um and it says mommy i think it's okay it's okay come here and it says no i'm scared and then i just hear footfalls and it's running and i can't see it still it's just running i hear do 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 you know it's just running across and it, it seems like it's going fast. Now, I mean, that could just be because it's dark outside and I can't see it. I really haven't put eyes on it. I say, no, 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 wait. It's okay. It's okay. Stop. And then I hear, um, I'm scared again. And right then, as it's going from left to right across my yard, it gets, the, um, it gets to the edge of my yard. And there, the streetlights have can can shine through between my my house and my neighbor's house i just see a shadow i don't see like a full um figure or anything like that i just see a shadow and it's it's like it's probably up to my chest you know maybe maybe four feet tall maybe four and a half feet tall not not real tall um it's it moves uh there's a path down there that runs back into those woods so it's going down those woods and I turn around running back inside throw on a sweater throw on some pants put on shoes grab a flashlight all this takes like I don't know 20 30 seconds um because all that stuff's just you know sitting there in my room um so I'm running back outside my wife has stayed outside the entire time and she says it's just getting softer and softer like you can tell that it's moving away from us in the distance and it's almost gone like I can barely hear it when I get out there and I run down that path and by the time we get to the end of the path I can't hear it at all so I'm I say I say wait are you there and nothing you know so then I just come back up the path and I tell my wife you know call the police let's report this um and check on the kids make sure they're upstairs in the room to what she does and everything's okay and the police come they search the backyard they search those woods a little bit and then they drive around the neighborhood over there by the golf course and everything and don't find anything. Um, we call later on that day. 
nothing was ever reported. Like nothing was reported out of the ordinary other than us. They didn't find anybody. So I would like to think that it was a kid that just woke up and walked out of his house and walked out in the woods and got lost, but then found his way home. But at the same time, the way this thing moved across my backyard, we have no idea what it was. It could have been a kid. It could have been anything. We don't know. Um, my, my wife and I generally spent the rest of or the day. We didn't go back to sleep, clearly. We weren't going to go back to sleep after something like that. But we spent the rest of the day just thinking what just happened. And, and that's all that we can do. We have no idea. Thanks for the time. Appreciate the show. Thank you, Andrew. Man, that's creepy. There's a meme that comes to mind uh, based on Andrew's story here. It says something along the lines of, A baby's laughter is one of the most beautiful sounds you will ever hear. Unless it's 3 a.m., you're home alone, and you don't have a child. Now this also reminds me of some trail camera footage that I've seen over the years. A lot of that I've suspected to be Photoshop, but haven't definitively proven that. In several of these photos, you can find young children, often in pajamas or nightgowns or something like that, standing among deer or out in the open field late at night, three, four in the morning. And then, of course, you have the infamous black-eyed kids. So if anyone else out there listening has heard of experiences such as this or, or perhaps witnessed this themselves, let us know about it. Hopefully, we haven't heard the end of these sort of encounters. Thank you again, Andrew, for taking the time to share that call. And that brings us to our final submission of the evening. Longtime listeners will remember me mentioning a phenomenon known as the Pig Man, which has seemed to have taken place in several different states, including New Jersey, Vermont, New York, and our caller's state of Texas. Well, the following is Alan's Pig Man story. Hello everyone, this is Alan from South Texas. This is in relation to the pig man story. There's nothing paranormal about this story, so I don't know if uh, it can even be used, but um, we did have a pig man in the small town where I grew up. That's what we called him anyway, because um, just because he was he was very ugly and had a kind of piggish face. You know, uh, I'm sure everyone has seen somebody who could be described like that. I think it probably started when I was about 12 or 13 years old. It would have been in the mid-70s. The first I ever heard of him was a couple of guys in my class were telling a story about how they had been um, at the house of one of them in town, and uh, they were just throwing the football back and forth to each other in the street. This is a very small town. There's not a lot of traffic anywhere, so this was a perfectly safe thing to do. You know, you just move out of the way when a car comes by. It's, it's, a, it's a common thing. And uh, this one car started coming down the street, so they uh, moved over to the side of the street to let the car go by. The car slowed down, and this uh, very ugly man driving it slowed down, almost stopped, and just stared at them. Really, I mean, they said it was, you know, it was scary. It was a really creepy stare. He He just stared at them. They were freaked out enough that they ran back into the house. They started calling him the pig man because of how he looked. 
he didn't have a body of a man and a head of a pig or anything like that. He he just he was just ugly and had a face that could be described as looking kind of piggish, you know. Time went by and everybody started seeing this guy. He would drive around the school grounds. It was a large campus and it was bordered on, on all four sides by public streets. And he would drive around the school grounds very slowly, staring at the kids. <laughs> and this was in the mid-70s, so um, nobody was immediately alarmed, probably like they would be now, you know, calling the cops and stuff. It just got back to the parents that this ugly, creepy old man was driving around the school grounds staring at kids. I saw him a couple times, of course, because everybody saw him. Uh, I would walk from school. After school was out, I would walk uh, down to my grandmother's house. She just lived a few blocks away. I'd walk down there after school and wait for my dad to get off work. He'd come pick me up and take me home. And I saw this guy several times slowly going down the street. He had this ugly green car like a, like a LeSabre, I think, or something like that. Uh, it was very recognizable because... He had these odd things painted on the sides, maybe stenciled. There was the face of a clock. I don't remember if it had hands, but it was it was a circle with numbers in it, like the face of a clock. There was also a woman's name painted in, uh, I think it was some kind of script, like a cursive kind of script, painted on the, like the rear fender, it said Nancy Elizabeth. So, um... Eventually, enough people got disturbed enough by his behavior that several men from the community went to his house and paid him a visit and told him that it would probably be a good idea for him to move somewhere else before something bad happened to him. And he disappeared. And this was when I was in my teens. It would have been in the late 70s sometime when uh, he disappeared. I didn't see him again for a long time. So more time went by, and uh, I went. I got out of high school. I went to college. I dropped out of college. I got a job working in another town that was about um, 30 miles away or so from where I had gone to school, and uh, uh, got a job in a pizza restaurant. Uh, started out there delivering pizzas and eventually became one of the assistant managers. So... Uh, as an assistant manager, uh, I would close the store every night, make sure everything had been cleaned and prepped properly for the next day, and um, zero out the registers, do all the paperwork, and uh, prepare the deposit for the bank the next morning, all that kind of stuff. So I was always there when the last customers left. And there came to be this old man, who I at first did not recognize, who became a regular customer there. He would always sit in the same place at a small table all by himself. He would he would order food and sit there and eat, but he would stay there for a long time after uh, after he finished eating, just staring at people and being creepy. Especially he would stare at the uh, young guys who worked there because, uh, you know, it was, it was a pizza restaurant and employed a lot of teenagers as well as uh, younger people who were in college. There was a college there in that town, and uh, so it had a lot of part-time labor of young people. Eventually, there was one night where he just stayed too late, and we were closing the store. Everybody else was gone. Since I was the assistant manager, I had to go out and 
ask him politely to leave so we could close the store because he was finished eating. He had finished a long time before and he was just sitting there watching everyone. So uh, I did that and he got up and left. And uh, I didn't recognize him at this time yet. So we finished up the store. Uh, we, we closed the store. We finished everything up. And we were leaving. And uh, I always went out the back door. I locked the front door, went out the back door, and locked it on my way out. I went out the back door, and he was sitting there in the parking lot still, sitting there in his car, just waiting. And uh, when I saw his car, I, I realized, oh, that's Nancy Elizabeth. He was in the same old, ugly, dark green LeSabre with the uh, clock face and the woman's name painted on the side and some other stuff painted on it. I don't remember everything. And uh, I thought, that, that dude's going to try to follow me, I bet. I got in my truck and I took off. I didn't have a souped-up truck. I had an old 79 Ford Courier. I don't know if anybody knows what that is, but it was a little pickup with a four-cylinder engine. It wasn't built to go fast. But I took off as fast as I could, and he came out of the parking lot right behind me. And uh, so I sped up as fast as I could. I did manage to leave him behind. And when I got to the first turnoff, I, uh, sh- I actually shut off my lights. He, I knew the, uh, I knew the brake lights would still show when I slowed down for the corner. But I turned off all my lights anyway, and uh, slowed down and then made the curve in the dark, and went down the street for a pretty good ways without any lights turned on, <laughs> because. Uh, I didn't want him to be able to follow me home and know where I lived. It was a long way. It was like about a 15-mile drive or something. I didn't want him following me. So uh, I got down that street a ways. I turned my lights back on. And uh, like I had said before, I had started out as a delivery driver. So I had this whole town memorized. It's a small town. At that time, it was probably about 17 or 18,000 people. And uh, I knew the whole town very well from delivering pizzas everywhere. So I, uh, I cut through a parking lot of a, I think it's a nursing home. Anyway, I cut through a parking lot to a service alley that I knew was there that was a shortcut, <laughs> and, which led out into another parking lot that allowed me to get back out to the main street back where the pizza restaurant was. And I just made a big circle and came around so that now I was behind him. And I figured if he had kept going down the highway, he would probably be uh, maybe two miles or three miles ahead of me by this time. So I started going down the highway at a normal speed, along with all the other traffic so I wouldn't attract attention even though there really wasn't very much other traffic at this time of night and uh, it was a divided highway had a grass median in in the middle and uh, sure enough as I was going out of town I saw him coming back up the other side of the highway uh, and I assumed that he had tried to follow me and lost me and given up turned around and come back so then at this at this restaurant we would be extremely busy with lots of um, young people coming in to uh, hang out and and have fun on Friday nights mostly and uh, so we hired an off-duty cop to be like a security slash bouncer there on Friday nights and I was telling him about this guy and he knew immediately who it was when I described him and he said that guy has been picked up for just about everything but murder and uh, during one of the uh, Arrests, or I don't, I don't know for sure. They had taken him into custody. I don't know all the details. He had been in possession of a bunch of uh, papers that looked like uh, research papers or something that he had written, and like he had written them to be serious papers, but they were just crazy. And it was uh, lots of stuff about um, uh, time, 
and women's menstrual cycles and uh, other things that were related to time. He seemed to have uh, an, uh, an obsession with the passage of time and with clocks and anything related to time. So this was the guy that we called the pig man when I was a kid. And I was really uh, interested in the very brief story from uh, the other person who said he was also in South Texas when this happened. Because, you know, I wondered if if uh, his brother had been, when his brother had been uh, out at, by the clothesline, and I, I know what a clothesline is, we used one a lot when I was growing up, uh, I wondered if maybe this pig man had driven by in a car very slowly staring at him or if he just saw him walking by on foot or or what because uh it, it the only place I've ever heard of a pig man is the one that we had like I said he was not a man with a pig's head he just had a very ugly appearance and uh it turned out he was likely if not a pedophile at least he wanted to be so I guess that's the whole story. Um, eventually, that restaurant was bought by someone else, and he closed it down for several months while he uh, refurbished it and remodeled it. And uh, and when it opened again, I was working there once again as an assistant manager, and um, I never saw Nancy Elizabeth again. I did hear his real name. His legal name was not Nancy Elizabeth. He had a he had a he had a real na- legal name, which he used to uh, open his bank account. Because a woman who worked part time at the restaurant also was a teller at the bank where he had his account, and she told me his real name, but I don't remember it anymore. This was thirty years ago. <clears throat> so uh, after the store reopened, I never saw him again. I don't know whatever happened to him. But before before I saw him in my hometown. He had to have been living somewhere else. He wasn't from there. He lived there probably less than a year, maybe, or maybe slightly more than a year. Not very long, and then he was gone because of the threat made against him. And he had only moved to that uh, other town that was like 30 miles away. I guess he had been living there the whole time while I was uh, finishing high school and going to college and everything, and I, so I didn't see him again until uh, I started that job. So I guess that's it. Um, I know this was long, and there was nothing supernatural or paranormal about it. It was kind of—I guess it could be a little strange and kind of dreadful. Um, I enjoy the show. I think you do a good job with it, Derek, and uh, I look forward to hearing it every week. And I hope this little story maybe helps someone in some way. And I would like to hear more from the uh, guy who had the original Pigman story if he has any further details about it be interested to know if maybe we saw the same person. Thanks. Thank you, Alan. Now, I will agree, this story is not paranormal in nature, but that does not stop it from being pretty much fascinating. I would love to see an image of this car, and perhaps even the man himself, just to kind of set the scene a bit. This story sounds very similar to what me and my brothers dealt with when we were children. You see, the property across the road was owned by an older man that lived somewhere in town, and he would drive to his property almost every day in a beat-up old Jeep Wagoneer, with the biggest German Shepherd dog I've ever seen in my life sitting comfortably in the front seat. The man would toil around in the woods, piling brush, cutting trees, 
probably just enjoying his retirement. But to us, it was obvious he was an axe murderer and used his dog to help hunt down his prey. For years, we were terrified of this gentleman. He's long since passed away now, and I'm sure he was completely innocent of any wrongdoing. But the image of his vehicle slowly creeping out of these dark woods is forever burned in my brain. Now, the call that Alan said prompted him to share his story is Nick's call from Season 6 of Episode 7. And if you stick around until after the outro, I will share Nick's call in full uh, there. So I'll leave you guys with this. Perhaps someone grew up near the same area that Alan did and has some photos or some additional stories about uh, this mysterious pig man. I would love to lay eyes on those or to hear those additional tales. So if you're that person, hit me up. Thank you again, Alan, for taking the time to share that story and telling it so well. And on that note, that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd, Warren Pon-Ebbett, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And music for this episode was provided by Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. Thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. As promised, the following is Nick's call from the state of Texas that originally aired on episode 6 of season 7. This is Nick down in Texas. Uh, First time caller just now uh, got into the show. I got a couple stories, but this is just a quick little one. Wanted to see if uh, maybe some other people have seen similar things. This was actually seen by my older brother. Uh, when I was a kid, we lived down in South Texas, and uh, it was nighttime, and uh, we had the clotheslines. Uh, so it was late at night, and he had to get the, his clothes off the line for whatever reason. He didn't get them off earlier. Um, I remember waiting there, and all of a sudden, he ran in the house uh, wanting a, to get a gun, one of my dad's guns, uh, saying that he saw a pig man. Now, obviously, this freaked me out. Um, him being five years older than me, you know, he had that big brother mystique of uh, nothing scares him, nothing gets to him, and uh, he was pretty shook up, pretty frightened. So I just wanted to see if anybody's ever uh, seen anything described as a pig man, a man's body and a pig's face. Uh, thanks. I will call back... Uh, later but uh, keep up the good work the good podcast uh, i really enjoy it thank you 
A big thank you to Nick, again, for sharing his story. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night. If you look around, you'll see the world can be pretty smart. Okay, very smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. That's why we're reshaping online learning with our FlexPath format. You can set your own deadlines, take classes at your own pace, even leverage your previous experience to move faster. So when it comes to earning your bachelor's degree, you know what kind of choice to make. A smart one. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. It all starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To get behind the wheel. To go out on the open road. To feel a rush of adrenaline. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle. But it becomes an exhilarating experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open. But the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.